The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, June 11, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and there's not a lot happening in the world of college basketball. Villanova's uh, Sadiq Bay made it official. He's remaining in the NBA draft. Arkansas got a commitment from Indiana grad transfer Justin Smith. Class of 2021 star Jonathan Kaminga is reclassifying to 2020, and we'll get to that at the very least later on. But again, given that there's not much going on in the sport of college basketball, I want to start with the latest on the Zion Williamson lawsuit front. On Wednesday, it was reported that the attorneys representing Gina Ford and Prime Marketing have asked a federal judge in North Carolina to deny Zion's motion for partial judgment and allow them to conduct discovery into his parents' living arrangements and financial history before and while he played at Duke. Now, I won't bore you with the legal back and forth. We've gone over it before, but the housing arrangements are quite interesting. According to Gina Ford's attorneys, and this has long been discussed on message boards and Twitter, places like that, but it's still wild to see it in an actual court document. According to the attorneys, Zion's family lived way differently when he was in high school than they did once he enrolled at Duke. In high school, the lawsuit estimates that Zion's family was living in a house that requires a monthly rental payment of $895. Then they moved to Durham into a house valued at approximately $950,000. Monthly rent on that home is believed to be $4,495. And oh, by the way, the house is owned by a graduate of Duke University. So Zion's family's monthly rent allegedly jumped from 895 to 4495 while he was still supposed to be a quote-unquote amateur. That's an increase in monthly rent of $3600. It's obviously outrageous. <laughs> Gina Ford's attorneys also want to know by the way uh, about the three vehicles registered to Zion's family at the time. A 2018 Mercedes-Benz G-Wagon, a 2016 GMC Yukon, a 2015 Cadillac Escalade. So a lot going on here. Norlander, like I said, we've gone through this before. We both think Zion will eventually settle out of court before he ever has to answer questions about this stuff under oath. But that said, it seems impossible at this point to believe that somebody wasn't taking care of Zion's family in violation of NCAA rules. So I completely understand why fans of other schools look at this and go, why isn't Duke in big NCAA trouble? Mm -hmm. I understand the frustration. Do you understand the frustration? And do you believe the NCAA will ever take an honest and serious look at this? I do understand the frustration entirely. I'll get to the NCAA thing in a second, but I did see all, all of this, and uh, it had me going back to – my days just out of college. I wanted to ask you, so when I moved out uh, out of my house, out of college, first house I lived in 
with my but we actually there was it was a big house it was like I don't know. It was like one of those houses where if you, you know, if you live in a college town, even when you're still in college or just get out, like they're they're almost built to have four, five, six, seven people in them. So, I remember cuz our our monthly rent was 2750 for the entire house. We had six guys in the house. We actually had it came to about 460 per guy, but we actually had a seventh guy live in the house for a short while in a room that had no heat had no air conditioning the the laws of the city apparently were if you had more than you know these outdated laws like or maybe they're not outdated I don't know but it was like if you had more than six people in a dwelling that weren't related it was it could technically be defined as a brothel or something like that so you could not have seven you could not have seven people but of course we uh, we did that and we actually had it set up to the point where um, if anyone from the city came to check and see how many people were living there, we could break down this guy's room entirely, like entirely in a matter of like 10 minutes and make it look like just another room inside the house. Those were good days, man. So when I saw the uh, the rent numbers, <laughs> um, it took me back to, uh, to uh, 13, 14, 15 years ago. I wanted to ask you, do you remember how much you would have paid for rent in the first place you had when you got out of college? Well, I lived on my own straight out of high school. Um, straight out my of high school. Okay. My high school girlfriend and I lived together as soon as we got out of high school. And uh, I went to Memphis. Right into the pool. Okay. <laughs> I went to Memphis and she went to Ole Miss. And we lived roughly halfway between the two campuses. I mean, we were closer to the Memphis campus than we were to the Ole Miss campus. We're probably 45 minutes from Ole Miss and 30 minutes from the Memphis campus. But we had a, a, a three-bedroom house. And I want to say for a three-bedroom house – the monthly rent was maybe eight hundred dollars. Amazing, and you're Something talking. Like that. I mean, you're looking at like what ninety six at this point, ninety five, yeah, ninety six, right? Just, <laughs> just, I mean, it might have been less than that. I for some reason like seven hundred and thirty dollars sticks into my head. So yeah. it might have been under eight hundred for a three bedroom house. Man. And then of course, uh, you're not going to believe this. She and I eventually broke up. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to believe. I am going to believe it because I know it's not your wife. So yes, I, I did. Put it is, two and two it is not my wife. I went and got another Ole Miss girl. Right, there you uh, go. And so uh, most of my uh, serious girlfriends were Ole Miss girls, one way or another. So you and never. So, okay, I was just going to say. So you never, you never did the like live with your bu- live with a buddy or two buddies or three buddies uh, at any point. Yes, I did. Oh. Um, so I lived with her. She and I had that house through my junior year of college. So we were together. We were basically together two years of high school and three years of college. So five years total. And then she she broke up with me. Honestly, probably about two years too late. Like, what was she doing? I was not. That was terrible. She left me for another guy named Gary. <laughs> okay. Shout out to other I'm, Gary. All right. So it was so awkward because after that, and by the way, like me and Gary are friends. We were friends back then. We're still friends today. Oh, Her name's okay. Amy. Her, her name's Abe. Like, he and I played baseball together. What is I, going I mean, I, on right now? <laughs> listen, I didn't. I thought it was weird when she started dating them, but we all got over it. You know, we all got, I went to their wedding. They're married now, by the way. Okay. I went and I, I kept my current, my current wife, my only wife, <laughs> my wife and I. Current wife. <laughs> my wife and I went to their wedding. Oh, my But gosh. after, um, so like, I, it's not like we see them all the time, but like, it's completely cordial. Um, but, after she and I split up, like her next boyfriend was Gary. 
So people would – I'd bump into some of our old friends and they'd be like, oh, how's Amy doing? And I'd say, oh, uh, I guess she's fine. I don't really know. Because you got to remember this is before Facebook and stuff. So it wasn't like you could just look up how somebody's doing. And uh, I'd say, I don't know. I guess she's – and they are like, well, I thought – you guys are still together, right? I just talked to somebody last week and they said they saw Amy and Gary. I was like, <laughs> it's the other Gary. It's not me. <laughs> so I, I the had to OG, the other Gary. I absolutely <laughs> love this. Oh it's the gosh. other Gary. So um, after that, so my senior year of college and then probably for about three years after that, so probably a four-year period, like 21 to 25, I lived with friends and yeah, those got out of hand. Those are the days, though. That's the yeah, days. Yeah, those right were. There. Well, right. like, we had three guys living together, and it was me, who I was a senior in college and then a full-time reporter at the Commercial Appeal newspaper, and they were both bartender, bartenders at the casinos in Tunica. So the, the, that's a hard lifestyle. Like, imagine trying to graduate college, and your two roommates work are bartenders at the casino. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just, oh, it's yeah, just no. rough. It's just rough because they live a they live that lifestyle bartender at casino lifestyle and that's a hard lifestyle to keep up with when you're trying to be a you know a, a serious like nine to five type type person and then um, I I moved to downtown Memphis and that's when my roommate was Corey Brannon who's a you know a yes. reputable musician and we lived together for a couple of years and then and then I, I and then I my wife and I lived together before we were married. And then uh, we've That's been living together it. ever since. Shouts to premarital sex, as always, on this podcast. I, my favorite kind. <laughs> with, that, without a doubt. And uh, we tip a cap to the premarital sex army. That's That remains strong here in quarantine, I hope. Um, Anyway, we'll loop back around to Duke, Zion, Williamson, and everything that's been going on there. Will the NCAA get around to actually meeting out punishment with Duke? Uh, my answer doesn't change here. I still think it's no. Um, what we had – let me try and – lay out quickly how I am evaluating with my non-law background what's happening here. Gina Ford uh, did not win out in court recently the way she had hoped and her lawyers had hoped. Uh, Zion Williamson was granted a stay, which meant that everything that Gina Ford wanted to happen in terms of getting a deposition with Williamson, Mike Krzyzewski and others, um, the court said no to that. Now, it's not done, but now we have... um, Gina Ford and her representatives saying, here is why, like, no, 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 no. Here's why Zion Williamson was ineligible when he was at Duke. Previous interpretations of this were misguided by, you know, the local judge. And so we need depositions from Williamson, from his mother, stepfather, from Mike Krzyzewski to help prove our case because Williamson backed out of the deal Ford is trying to say this This completely removes him from any kind of cover because he was ineligible to begin with. And here is why he was ineligible. And so, yes, it dirties up the process. Yes, there is, there is an objective here from Ford's representatives to say, we're going to put this out there knowing it will garner media traction as it is here on this podcast and on websites all over the place. And that's when you invoke, you know, the three cars – the house, the, the Zion Williamson living situation, I could not tell you how many times I had uh, cynical, angry Carolina, NC State, you name it, fans saying, why aren't you checking into the living situation with the, with the Williamson family in the house that they're in? 
All right. I mean, I, I live in Connecticut. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to post up in, in Durham for three and a half weeks trying to uncover what's happened here. But it has been long a, a sticking point in terms of, all right, how are we going to explain away why they were living where they were living there? So, yes, the details are titillating. Um, Duke has twice, and I have reported this out and, and, and done the digging on this previously, Duke has twice submitted Williamson's situation up for review, and it was cleared twice. Again, Parrish and I are on the same page. Never going to convince me that Zion Williamson's family did not receive benefits prior to and or during his time at Duke. It's never going to convince me of that. I don't care that he did. This, again, goes back to people so desperately wanting the NCAA to go after its most sacred of cows in Duke, and I'm just not seeing how we're going to get there. Is a deposition impossible? It's not impossible, Parrish. Um, The stuff that's put forth here is certainly interesting, but it's not outright evidence. We still lack actual tangible evidence here, uh, but this is the next step in, in hopes of getting a deposition, but I don't have any indication we're any closer to that happening. Again, a settlement, yeah, maybe that's going to happen. I think we both think that's going to eventually be it. But if, if Williamson's camp is outright refusing that, then, I don't know, maybe this continues to get volleyed back and forth in the weeks and months ahead before it gets to any sort of point in the courts, but uh, I'm not that much more flipped versus when we had this conversation on the podcast three weeks ago. Right. Um, listen, what Gina Ford wants to do here is what she would like. If you asked her, what is your ideal scenario? The ideal scenario is that the NCAA actually looks at this rules Zion retroactively ineligible, at which point her case is real valid. How can you say mm-hmm. um, you couldn't sign with me be, you know, be, be, when you were an ineligible student athlete anyway? Like that's, that's the perfect place for her to get to. Now, again, do I think we're ever going to get there? No, because I don't think Zion's ever going to answer these questions. You, you say that they, you know, maybe they flat out refuse it. I think they are probably flat out refusing it right now. But these are the, this is the way these things go. Like it'll get to a point where the next move is. And we're not there yet, but it will get to a point, and it might not be a year, but we'll get to a point where the next step is you either sit down and talk about this stuff under oath or you buy your way out of it. And that is when I believe they will buy their way out of it. Um, like I tweeted yesterday, the most likely outcome here is Zion ends up writing a check to Gina Ford for $5 million, $10 million, could be $20 million. I don't know. And then you know, Nike can make it right on the back end. Like they could either just give him a $20 million bonus because Nike can do whatever they want to do now. He's a professional athlete. They can put it in his next contract. I don't think Zion will actually lose money over this. I think Nike will spend money on this to eventually make it go away. But here would be my question. Mm-hmm. Um, like there is so like, and I should I should be clear about this. There is no specific allegation against Zion or his family. There's just like, hey, this doesn't look right. But nobody is saying, well, the money came from this agent or this financial advisor or this Duke booster or this Duke assistant or head coach or Nike or whatever. Nobody's got a specific allegation. It's just people are looking at it, I think, reasonably and concluding like something's not right here. Like clearly, you you know, you, you cannot go from paying $900 a month to $4,500 a month for rent unless you're something changed financially for you. 
Um, did they get a, a, a loan from uh, somebody? That All of this stuff is in violation of NCAA rules, all of it. So what happened? Nobody seems to know. But it seems clear that something happened. Somebody was taking care of this family in a way that allowed it to change its living arrangements in a drastic way. Like, think about this. Who, how many normal humans change their living conditions that drastically unless they are professional athletes or musicians or lottery winners? Or, yeah. Lottery it, it winners. Doesn't hap- yeah. It, it doesn't yeah. happen. No, it's, it's very uncommon it, here. And, uh, yeah, no. And so, like, that, that's the, something happened. So here would be my question. Mm-hmm. Why can't the NCAA go to Zion Williamson and his family? And by the way, I mean, I mean, actually launch a real uh, – like, hey, we're going to really look at this. And the first thing you'll realize is something happened. Now we just got to figure out what happened because clearly something happened. And now Zion's out of school, so he will never talk to the NCAA. His parents will never talk to the NCAA. For sure. But they could still talk to Mike Krzyzewski. They could still talk to Nike if they wanted to. Um, and, 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 and why – I guess this is what, the way I'd put it. Why can't the NCAA start from the point of we know something happened. You better prove to us what, what, how it, that it didn't or else we are finding you in violation of rules because that is what they have done in other cases, specifically the Derrick Rose case. They never proved that Derrick Rose – nobody ever proved that Derrick Rose didn't take his standardized test. That has never been established, never been proven. What the NCAA – uh, what what a standardized testing um, what what the, the the company or the system whatever concluded is that it doesn't look like Derrick Rose took his standardized test that's that's the conclusion like ah we don't know about this we don't think he really took his standardized test and then the onus was on Derrick or Memphis to prove that he did and Derrick would never cooperate and so Memphis had to mm-hmm. you know they, they retroactively ineligible and they had to vacate that season pull down a Final Four banner. How how is that much different than hey Zion we don't think you pay, your parents paid for this house and these cars on the up and up in accordance with NCAA rules now it's up to you to prove that you did and if you don't we'll do the same thing to you that we did to Derrick Rose like what is the difference between those two things because it's clear just it's just as clear that Zion's family was taken care of in some way as it was that Derrick Rose's standardized test score wasn't valid. Understood. Uh, the the first point with that it would be that if you're doing this you're taking it from literal hearsay in a potential lawsuit over a jaded agent and that's just not something that the NCAA is going to use as a starting point. It's also important to note this. I do believe the NCAA I'm not saying how effective it was or how diligent it was, but I do believe that the NCAA did look into the eligibility situation with Zion Williamson and vetted it out. Again, I can't speak to how voracious that was, but I do believe that that happened in speaking with previous sources about this, and I'm going back well over a year uh, when I looked into this. Now, what we don't know is to what level and how serious those conversations ever got because, one, Duke is a private school. It's never going to release any of this stuff. And two, the NCAA never, ever, ever comments on investigations as they are ongoing. It never happens. What you'll get from the NCAA is uh, comment once cases are, uh, once they've been wrapped and decisions have been made. And even then, in my opinion, um, the comments you'll get therein are are way too uh, stilted and stiff. But regardless, um, it would be great for more transparency from the NCAA on this 
in this regard. Uh, we're just not going to get it. For all we know, there might be something behind the scenes where this is happening. Again, it would take, I mean, we'd love for them to to be transparent, to say this is happening, to do it in a way where there's an acknowledgement of it, but it's not in Duke's interest to do this. It's not ultimately, I guess, big picture. The NCAA could easily make a case that it's not it's in its best interest to be uh, transparent and, you know, proclaiming what it's doing in real time. Uh, but even if it did, this will not get resolved for a long time, just because that's unfortunately how things go with the NCAA GP. You and I both know this. We just got Oklahoma State last week. That that case technically, you know opened the end of September of 2017. So you bring up a great would-be parallel with the Memphis situation and Derrick Rose. Obviously, there are things that should be answered. And if they aren't ever answered, frankly, I think that this has been salacious enough and a thread that has dangled long enough that it will be something that does stick to Duke I think Duke more than Krzyzewski, because as we mentioned previously, none of, neither of us actually believed that Mike Krzyzewski was actively... It just, it's just not how it works. He wasn't actively involved in trying to get uh, Zion Williamson's family paid to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars to get him to Duke. I, that's way more in the, in the Nike realm of all of this. But I do think that um, short of anything happening with the NCAA, this actually will be something that if we never find out anything more than this and it ends here, um, would still become... Like, the Maggetti thing kind of was there for a while. I guess and maybe it faded a little bit. Lance Thomas was barely there. I actually think this um, will be something that does stick to Duke, uh, fair or not, I think, you know, from now until until the end of Krzyzewski's reign. Um, you know, and I guess I'd say this. You're exactly right. The, like, if you, if you are an anti-Duke person or just a college basketball fan in general and you are hoping this leads to Mike Krzyzewski dropping off $300,000 for Zion Williamson, like, that's just not the way this stuff happens. But – you know, people love to bang on Rick Patino about what he did and did not know, specifically the Brian Bowen situation. Mm-hmm. Like, OK, Rick Patino, every, you know, uh, you know, the, the Adidas people say you didn't know. Uh, uh, everybody says you didn't know that the Adidas was doing one hundred thousand dollars for Brian Bowen. But you got a phone call out of the blue wanting to know if you wanted to recruit this five star prospect. You weren't even recruiting week later or whatever period of time he's on campus shortly after that he's committed to you like even if you weren't involved you had to know something was up with that right that's what people say about rick patino right yes okay so what is the difference here Uh, mike krzyzewski you went to zion's house to recruit him when he was in high school and it looked like a house that cost nine hundred dollars a month and then zion williamson and his family moved to duke to durham and now they're living in a house that allegedly the rent is $4,500. Now, you, 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 do you think it's possible that Mike Krzyzewski didn't know where Zion's family was living? Like everybody on every North Carolina message board knew where it was. So I'm assuming he did too. So what is the difference? And I'm not trying to bang on anybody. I'm just saying if you're going to you know, roll your eyes at Rick Patino for quote-unquote not knowing, what is the difference here in Mike Krzyzewski not knowing? I don't think he was involved. But if he wanted to know something wasn't right – it was right there in front of his eyes. I agree. I'm going to read uh, a little bit here from uh, the response from Ford's attorneys, just real quick, because actually, you know, I think it's important to include this. And also, I don't know if everyone saw this. Um, so these are direct quotes here. It's going to take me just a minute here. But I want to 
provide this context on the podcast. Further, information in public records as to plaintiff and or his parents receiving monies, benefits, and or other prohibited benefits should be and are allowed to be considered by this court as to whether plaintiff was ever eligible to be a student. Plaintiff is obviously Zion Williamson to be a student athlete without converting the motion to one for summary judgment. In documents filed with the U.S. District Court, Southern District of New York, text messages dated in February 2017 prior to plaintiff attending Duke and prior to meeting Miss Ford and between Nike EYBL men's basketball executives Carlton DeBose and Jamal James and Nike recruiting coordinator John Stovall discuss alleged financial offerings, alleged being a keyword, made by Nike to Williamson. On February 11, 2017, a text message to Stovall writes to James, just remember that Zion deals are not done yet. We are still in it. Just want you to remember that possible financial obligation. Also, I'll interject real quick here. It's important to remember context with all this. Zion Williamson was an Adidas athlete. He played on the Adidas circuit. He was not connected to Nike whatsoever. This is an accurate window, albeit with allegations, but these have been discovered text messages, so they are real evidence of what Nike was trying to do to eventually try and land Zion Williamson because clearly at that point in his life as a 17-year-old, he has been identified as a rare type of athlete at the basketball level, the kind of player who has the potential to be an absolute megastar that has obviously since come true. I will continue briefly here. See here to attach as Exhibit B true and accurate copies of publicly filed text messages from the courts. More of them. Just told them we could do 30K too, James said to DeBose on February 11, 2017. Then responds, we're still in there for Zion. I thought that ship had sailed. James receives a text message on the same date stating, nope, still at the dock, hoping to have news this week. The next day, are we willing to do whatever may be needed for Zion situations? Stovall texted, and then James received a text that Zion, 35+. plus. It goes on from there. You've got one saying, is it worth me spinning the approximate 100000 to support the efforts? I'll figure out the money part that was Stovall sending that text message there. So you have – this doesn't, you know – directly implicate Duke. It's way more on the Nike side of things, but come on. I mean, Duke benefits as much as any school, and I'm including Kentucky, and I'm including Oregon. It's not even Carolina. Carolina's with the Jordan brand, and that's a different entity altogether. Duke is a beneficiary of the Nike machine more than anything. And yes, just kind of hit back on what you mentioned, Parrish. You know, I know that the NCAA has looked into this previously, but if you're really going to try and crack down, you're going to send these massive messages, putting Georgia Tech on a postseason ban, putting Oklahoma State on a postseason ban. I actually think now that, you know, the likes of Kansas, Arizona, LSU, these schools could be looking at just not just one, but maybe two years of a postseason ban, maybe three years of a postseason ban. Are you not going to try and step back and look at the relationships between the shoe companies and the schools and try and do something there because that goes all the way back to why the Rice Commission was formed in the first place there and it does shine a light on how these things actually get done. I don't care if Zion Williamson and or his family got paid. It does not bother me whatsoever. But you can't apply the rules to some and not to others. And although a lot of this stuff is intentionally inflammatory to try and ramp up the urgency of the case and bring media attention and a, and a bit of negative publicity, publicity excuse me, to Williamson, Krzyzewski, and Duke on the whole, I think there's enough here that, you know, that would warrant a... Uh, Another trip around the block from the NCAA, but again, to be clear, this could be happening. We will simply never be notified of it until something gets to the point where um, a, notif- a notice of allegations would be officially filed. People have 
consistently asked me, what do I think actually happened here? Because it, it again, like with all due, and I'm friends with that Duke staff. I like them a lot. I'm not out to try to, you know, the, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the anti Duke guy. I'm not sitting here cheering. Duke must be brought down. I'm just saying it's clear that something happened. And, People ask me all the time. I mean, it's impossible to deny that something happened here. That's why I don't think Zion under oath will ever say those words. I don't think he'll ever be under oath. But people ask me, okay, so what do you think happened? What's your best guess on what happened? And if you connect all the dots, the stuff you just read, the, the everything we know, here is here here would be my best guess. That, and you got to remember, Adidas paid Brian Bowen's father to go to Louisville. And, and like it was fraudulent uh, invoices and diverted money. Yeah. They were working around a lot of things. That's why they got hammered the way they got hammered. The difference here, I would assume, is that Nike hired I, – I, this would be my guess. Nike hired the stepfather as a, quote, consultant and paid him to be a, quote, consultant. Well, How much money? 35000 100000 Real quick, know. Avenatti – publicly accused Nike and Zion's stepmother of that exact scheme. Just from, right. now, he got Avenatti got busted for um, uh, f- by the federal government for trying to extort Nike, but he did make that exact allegation on on, on Twitter uh, about a year ago. Continue. Right. Right. Okay, so it could be the mom instead of the stepdad. It doesn't matter. One of the parents was hired as a quote consultant in an official way. And they paid him in an official way what they would pay a consultant because that kind of stuff has been going on for decades. And when the NCAA, quote, looked into it, what what they found is that – and again, I'm not reporting this. I'm saying this is my best guess. I don't want anybody to misquote me. Uh, when the NCAA looked into it, I would assume that what they found is, oh, yeah, Nike hired one of the parents as a, quote, consultant. They paid him. It's all on the up and up. You know, It's all – the paperwork looks good. And they just decided – we don't think that's we're going to just we are going to determine that is not an extra benefit. That's not an impermissible benefit. Nike didn't pay him to go to Duke. Nike didn't pay him. They just they simply hired the, the one of the parents as a quote consultant. We are not going to get into a big fight with Nike. And so that is that. So when they say they vetted it, I bet they did vet it. And they found out that the, the one of the parents, the family came into some real money. And they just decided to determine that's okay because we don't want to pick this fight. That's what I think happened. I think that is plausible and pragmatic uh, in terms of one view of the situation there. We'll see what happens. Ultimately, Gina Ford and her attorneys have decided to provide stronger allegations and what amounts to, I guess, a new claim and a new uh, court submission, a new court document in hoping by making a stronger case saying items A, B, C, and D. Here is why we believe Zion Williamson was ineligible and should not be protected from from this from this law, by the way, North Carolina, this UAAA law. That's why we think this should be going somewhere. And now we wait to see. Uh, this is a guess, GP. I'm guessing we'll see it next week, maybe early the week after, whether or not a stay is granted. But I, it appears this is the final fight in all of this. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's making for a compelling copy. I certainly... I certainly understand all that in advance of uh, what is still, you know, six weeks out, seven weeks out from Zion Williamson actually returning to play when the NBA resumes in Orlando, uh, basically, you know, the first week of August. 
Um, and again, I tweeted yesterday that I thought this would get settled and probably amount to nothing. That doesn't mean because I got some pushback on Twitter from some other fans and I just didn't feel like arguing on Twitter. But like that doesn't mean that the that it's right. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that this is probably how it's going to go down. And the NCAA doesn't need Zion to testify under oath to pursue this if they want to pursue it. I just think it's well documented that that organization has been wildly inconsistent forever about the cases it pursues and how it punishes programs after they find them, for lack of a better verb, guilty of of uh, after they find them, for lack of a better word, guilty of whatever it is they were charged with. And it looks like on this one, they're just not they're not going to pursue it. That whatever answers they needed to be able to move on, they've already got those answers, and that is that. But again, you'll never convince anybody with a brain that Zion's family wasn't compensated in some form well before he left Duke and became um, a professional athlete. Uh, when more comes, we'll talk about it then. Moving on, Norlander had a piece this week about what it's like for coaches to take new jobs during a pandemic. We'll get into that next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So Norlander had a piece this week about what it's like for coaches to take new jobs during a pandemic, topped with international protest against police brutality and racial inequality. He talked with uh, Steve Forbes at Wake Forest, Stan Johnson at Loyola Marymount, Andy Kennedy at UAB, Mo Williams at Alabama State, Luke, Luke Yaklage at Illinois, Chicago. CBS Sports measured it as a 16-minute read. So I'm not sure everybody got completely through it. So Norlander, for those who didn't get all the way through it, what's the Cliffsnose version of your latest work? Yeah, it's, listen, about a month ago, even more than that, like six weeks ago, uh, as we were, you know, truly locked down in this country, um, got to talking to some coaches that were not on new staffs or at new jobs, but just, you know, about the, the everyday stuff. And then I thought, well, you know, what about the guys that are either first-time head coaches or – you know, getting jobs after like Andy Kennedy has been an ESPN analyst, uh, SEC network analyst for the past two years, you know, uh, to jump back into it or get your first head job in the midst of an unprecedented time. I thought that might be uh, an intriguing thing. And, and it certainly was. I mean, uh, Mo Williams, you know, 14 year NBA veteran, started Alabama, went right from the NBA to be an assistant for two years at Cal State Northridge under Mark Gottfried, who he played for at Alabama. But, you know, he's he's Wants to be a college coach at an historical uh, black college university, HBCU. Uh, him and Lindsey Hunter uh, are the two NBA uh, alumni who are actually doing that. And he had uh, some very powerful, interesting things, th things to say about 
the Black Lives Matter protests and growing up as a black man. So it, it shifted from just coronavirus and what it's like to operate to that. And, oh, by the way, how have the past two weeks been for you as a coach, dealing with your players, and specifically with Mo Williams and Stan Johnson at LMU? Those are two black coaches. And um, it kind of runs the gamut from dealing with that. A number of these coaches had players that protested as have many uh, coaches themselves, uh, partaking head coaches or assistants across the country in some protests as of late, to, you know, dealing with, you know, Stan Johnson told me when he when he flew out to LMU the first time, he got on like a typical commercial airline, and there were 11 people on it. And he was like, you know, he was freaked out and not like the like, oh my God, this is, you know, uh, how could I possibly fly this? But it just felt weird. You know, have you ever been on a plane with only 11 people, GP, That uh, a plane that would fit, you know, 150 otherwise? like. Oh, sure. You've never been on the, on the uh, early morning Memphis to LaGuardia flight or back. <laughs> like, I. that's the great thing about my flights back and forth to New York is that I am the, – the flight is always – almost always half empty at least. I, I get bumped to first class every time. I love it. All right. I'm used to flying with nobody. I've never been on a plane. Like, if if it can seat 150, it can fit 11. That's just – that's bizarre. But he said it with every progressive flight. um, He's had to fly, I think, four or five times. It's gotten more and more packed. I think his most recent one, it was all but a couple couple of seats or however they were trying to uh, seat people in a somewhat socially distant, uh, conscious way, I guess, overall. So it was was interesting to get, you know, like Forbes at Wake Forest. He (laughs) – First of all, I didn't. I didn't include that. For this is a funny detail. I didn't include this in the story because I didn't. I couldn't put it anywhere. So Forbes. First of all, yeah, he just sold his house in Johnson City, Tennessee. It's like a little less than three hours to drive from there to Wake. So he has been sleeping at his house on the weekends, but getting up early, early like six a.m. Monday mornings, driving out to Wake, staying at a hotel there. Sometimes he's been sleeping in the office, and he said. That I guess I don't know if his the office it's I think the office got redone like you know five six years ago and you know Danny Manning's six ten so they installed a toilet specifically for Danny Manning's like height <laughs> and Forbes is like six feet maybe and so he's like yeah I've been you know I've been I've, I've been dealing with that you know you got to climb on the toilet my feet are like, barely touching climb. the floor <laughs> yes. <laughs> just crazy, and we all we also. What if Forbes, what if Forbes has a ladder to get on his toilet, just, like a little step ladder? It's like a true throne. It's like an actual like, throne. Like, like I, my three-year-old. I feel like he's got a step stool to even watch it. Have to wash his hands in the bathroom. There, it's just unbelievable. Um, we also got to talking about. We never talked about this on the podcast, I don't think. But when he got hired, and they made that absolutely ridiculous video of him in the practice facility, and John Curry throwing him the whistle, gave me the breakdown on that. I wrote a separate side story on all that. So it was, uh, it was, it was cool to kind of catch up with these coaches. And, they, and you know, bottom line is, all of them said it's been weird, um, and it's it's had like some of its drawbacks. Like Luke Yoklich became a grandfather the day before his birthday in May and he couldn't go and be at the hospital to be there to like, he's 44 and his daughter's in grad school. Uh, he he became a dad when he was young in his early twenties. And, uh, and now he's like super thrilled, but, um, it's, it's kind of splintered his life in some ways. Cause he's been trying to focus on, you know, building a program there in UIC. He'll never be shy on recruitable talent in Chicago hired, uh, D Brown famous, obviously famous alumnus from Illinois there. Um, but, from him to Kennedy to Forbes, Mo Williams, Stan Johnson, 
it's you need to have this mindset, but they they almost think like, all right, if we can get through this and actually have a good team heading into the fall, then it'll probably benefit us year two, year three, and year four for the better because even though everyone's in the same position of mostly being pinned at home, it's way, way different when you have to take a head coaching job no matter the climate. And when you factor in all of this, it's uh, it's been an even bigger challenge, but they've gotten the job done. I mean, Andy Kennedy got two pretty good grad transfers. Um, Forbes said it is at the worst point, he thinks he had four scholarship players at Wake, and now I think he's too shy of being full. Um, and Yaklich had to get a whole bunch of commitments, and, they, and he got it done as well. Um, Mo Williams was dealing with living in L.A. Now he's still house hunting at Alabama State. He just announced his staff here uh, literally like an hour before we started recording this podcast on Thursday. Um, so there's a bunch more. You can go read the story. It's It was uh, it was just pretty interesting to, to hear what it's been like when you know they get a job and they're Five, six states away, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred miles away before they can actually move into the spot where they want to be. Now campuses are slowly but surely opening up. Some players are coming onto campus. We're seeing positive COVID tests here and there with football and basketball. Texas Tech mentioned some earlier this week. Kennedy said that um, players at UAB, a few of them came back. They got tested. He said if anyone tested positive, he let me know. He didn't get back to me. So either uh, he, <laughs> either that no one tested positive or he just forgot to do it. But um, but yeah, so that's that's basically it in not quite a nutshell, but it was super interesting to talk to these dudes uh, and under circumstances they could have never predicted, you know. To me, the toughest part is, you know, these days especially, when you get a new job, your first job is to re-recruit the players. I mean, they didn't come there to play for you. They almost certainly don't know you. And suddenly these guys are, are they, they can't meet their players. They can't be around them. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like they're not on campus. Under normal circumstances, you take a job, you accept a job, you're on campus the next day meeting with your new players in person. Some of these guys haven't even met with those players yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been months and months and months. And like a Zoom call and text message and Skype and FaceTime or whatever it is people use, it's not the same thing as sitting in an office with somebody. It's not the same thing as, uh, you know, uh, doing an individual workout with somebody. It's just Mm -hmm. like that to me is the hardest thing. These guys take new jobs. And that's always like you got to relocate your family. You got to figure out the campus. But you you. You know, you at least get to be around your players, get to know them. Like, good luck in this situation. I honestly think it's how Mike Norvell, the Florida State football coach, ended up in the situation he ended up in last week. Right. Because if you know Mike Norvell, and I've known Mike for, for years now, he ain't the guy that would be trying to, you know, to, to overstate his role in anything or, or, like he's as good as it gets and yet he misspoke to a reporter in a way that over exaggerated the conversations or text exchanges he had been having with his players next thing you know he's getting called out by his best player next thing you know they've got a team meeting that they've got to resolve all this or maybe there's a boycott on campus well i think that's a direct byproduct of him not knowing them 
Because if they if he had had a normal opportunity to get to know them over all these months, they would have understood this ain't the coach we call out. This guy's this guy's in our corner. But like, when's the last time he's been around his football team? You know, or or how often has he been around his football team relative to how often you would under normal circumstances? Very little, and that's a that's a real issue that he faced, and I think all of these basketball coach, coaches are facing as well. Mo Williams, Andy Kennedy, and I. Th- uh, Stan Johnson, I think, were the three coaches all used the phrase, you know, we haven't had a chance to touch our guys yet. Meaning, like, right. shake their hands, individual workouts, just simple stuff here and there. It's like they're coaching with a screen in front of them, you know, not like a, a like you know, a physical, like, you know, like a, like a screen door kind of screen, not like a, a, a phone screen or a computer screen where you have the job, you're doing a lot of this stuff, but because you're either – Dipping in the office here and there, or you're working from home, you don't have your players around you. You know, Stan Johnson specifically specifically said, "I haven't shaken the hand of any of my assistants yet. I haven't gotten to meet uh, most of my players in person." He's refusing to even do refusing is not the right word, but he's opting not to do a an introductory formal press conference until that can be allowed. Like the, you know, Kennedy did a virtual one for UAB. Um, some have done Zoom ones, teleconferences. He wants to do one like he wants. He wants to have that ushering in feel. It's his first head job, you know. He and he. It's it's been a bit weird for these guys to not, understandably weird, but to not have their players around them and go through those motions. Now there have been benefits to some of this. Two quick ones. Uh, Stan, who has young kids, specifically said, "You know what? Because we had the pandemic, what's been great is I have been with my family. If this had been normal." My family's not moving out to LA until July because the kids are in school. Then we got to pack up. We got to get it done. We got all that done. I moved out here five days ahead of that. He just, they just bought their house. They just moved in like five, six days ago. So I just got to the house and it was them leaving from Milwaukee directly moving into the house we got. There was no, we're going to live in a hotel for two and a half weeks. That's a genuine benefit. If you have young kids, sure. and you know you don't have to be away from your family for three months. That's a huge, huge pro when it comes to that. And then Yaklich said, you know, I wouldn't want it to be permanently this way, but I will say this. When you get a job, whether you're an assistant head coach or um, whether you just get it or you've been on staff and you got to do these visits and uh, be the official or sometimes even unofficial and you got a building hop and you got a room hop and you got to say, here's this person, here's this person, this, 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 this. He's like, sometimes you don't want it to be this way, but because of all the duties you have, you can sometimes rush through things. It can sometimes become rote a bit and doing these conversations over Zoom with family members when I'm in the comfort of my own home, I can see where they live, I can see a younger sibling, you know, kind of acting up, being goofy. He's like, in a way, it's actually, I think, helped me, particularly in my staff, recruit players or retain players because you are getting a personal connection face-to-face in living quarters where it's just not the same if they come and visit you on campus. Now, that has pros and cons because... Forbes specifically said, nah, man, like if you can go to lunch with someone face to face, break bread, do this, you're going to get a much better idea of just how to vibe off of someone versus doing it over a screen. So there are different interpretations of this all around, but it, it has been interesting to to hear the coaches try and make the best of it while acknowledging the challenges they're in. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going through what all of us are going through. Like, you know, listen, none of us want this life. None of us want to live during a pandemic, but. Uh, once you're doing it, you try to find the positives. It, 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 there's more negatives than positives, 
but you try to find some of the positives. For me personally, I've gotten to spend more time with my family, um, my children than I, you know, would would get to spend under normal circumstances. I haven't been on a plane in three months. I, uh, you know, my kids because they were out of school were home every day. Like I, I usually don't, you know, I'm not usually responsible for my kids during the day because I have multiple jobs. You know, I've, I'm, I'm writing or podcasting or preparing for radio or going to radio. But under these circumstances where we weren't allowing help into our house and my wife still had a store to run and, uh, you know, it was like, hey, you know, I, I was living like, like you live. You know, it was like, hey, listen, Gary, I know this isn't ideal, but I got to go to the store and you have to figure out a way to work and also, you know, be, be a father. And it, it's it's stressful, but it's also awesome because it gives you real time, but stressful more than awesome. Either way, you try to find the positive in it. And the positive in it is that it's time that I would have never otherwise had. Um, coaches are dealing with the same thing. Like I talked to TJ Otzelberger, the UNLV coach, the, the other day, and he said that he and his wife and children, his wife's from Australia. So they went to Australia for like two weeks. He's like, when will I ever be able to go with my wife back to Australia to see her family again and have my kids be around their uncles and aunts and cousins? Like, like I'll, I might not ever be able to participate that again because a college basketball coach's lifestyle isn't yeah. conducive to that. But in the middle of a pandemic where there's nothing for you to really do, like what, except like Zoom calls and text and you can do all that from anywhere in the world. Um, why not go? So he was like, that's a positive, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather be working under normal circumstances and going to grassroots events and evaluating. And, but like, you know, you take advantage of, of this un, unfortunate situation and you're exactly right. Like typically when coaches change jobs, it's, it's, it's hard on them. I mean, it's an awesome opportunity. Otherwise they wouldn't accept the job, right? In many cases, you're a head coach for the first time ever, but it doesn't come without difficulty. Um, you know, you usually take that job in, you know, early March, mid March, late March. If you are a father, your kids are still in school. Well, you're not just going to jerk them out of school in March or April. Your kids are going to almost always finish the school year. So what does that mean? Often for the first time in your life, you are now living apart from your wife and your kids for a matter of months, right? I know that, um, when Brad Underwood took, I think, the Illinois job, but it may have been the Oklahoma state job. Like, you know, it was all within a year of each other, but I remember seeing him, I don't know, one of the grassroots events, maybe peach jam or something. I was like, Hey, how you been? He's like, eh, it's just been tough GP. He's like, uh, you know, I was away from, you know, I lived in a hotel, you know, for th three, I think he just moved into a house by then lived in a hotel for three months. Um, you know, my wife's not there. Kids not there. They're all back home, wherever home was before that. Um, eating fast food every day because what else are you going to do? So you put on weight. He was just like, it's, you know, he's he's a lesson. I'm lucky, but like it's it's been a hard three months, and you're working nonstop. I went to see Andy Enfield not long after he got the USC job. He was living it was several months after he got the USC job. He's still living in a hotel. You know, the family wasn't there yet. Um, I don't believe. And so, under these circumstances, that is one of the good things. Uh, if you wanted to go ahead and move to your new home, your kids aren't in school. So let's all go together as a family or, hey, there's really no reason for us to move right now because what are we going to do when we get there? In your story, you pointed out Forbes was still living in Johnson City. Uh, you know, under, under normal circumstances, there's no scenario where he'd still be living in Johnson City or bouncing back, you know, every weekend. He'd have things to do. But, 
the situation allowed him to to do it in a way that's probably a little easier on his family. Again, if you're looking for positives in a bad situation, these are some of them. My last thing before we get to Kaminga is that Yaklich had mentioned to me, and he wasn't the first, I've had at least three or four other coaches since early April bring this up. What you might see happen, we'll see. What you might see happen, I think you're going to get this from a, a proposal from the NABC is a lot of coaches have been like, you know what? We do need this, and at some point, whenever we can change our calendar while acknowledging that the recruiting calendar like changes literally almost every three to four years, um, there is a desire to have at least one one-week period, if not a 10-day period, if not a two-week period, where it is straight dark. There is nothing. Save us from ourselves. We can figure out when that's going to be, but this pandemic and what it has brought upon us with our job, what we have, <laughs> it sounds, you know, to the layman, it probably sounds obvious, but when you are involved in a college job and you, you almost never have days off, it's, it, 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 it unfortunately uh, is a truth with that profession. Save us from ourselves. Let us be able to step away from this because of how many of us found it actually shockingly refreshing to not have all of this on us. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if in 2021 or 2022, we saw some sort of implementation of that. If it can get enough momentum there, something tells me it would either be in May or end of August, maybe early September, where there might be a nothing. No one's doing anything. No contact. You're not recruiting, period. Now, obviously, people are not going to be able to help themselves. They'll try and cheat regardless. But a lot of coaches feel like, especially what's happened in the past three weeks, GP, that needs to be a part of the culture going forward. I don't know if it will happen, but it will, there will be certainly be a push to make it happen. All right. Before we get out of here, uh, Jonathan Kaminga uh, was the number one player in the class of 2021, but now it appears he's going to be among the best players in the class of 2020 because he seems to be, and it's not official yet, but all indications are, like fellow five-star Musise, he is going to reclassify and be eligible to play college basketball next season if he wants to play college basketball next season for those unfamiliar um he's a 6-8 wing at the patrick school in hillside new jersey but originally from the democratic republic of the congo he moved to the united states in 2016 so just four years ago we both saw him last july at peach jam he's awesome obviously and his five options at this moment appear to be auburn duke kentucky texas tech and the G League, with most people believing that he is likely headed to the G League program. Norlander, um, how big would it be to have Jonathan Kaminga in college basketball next season? And do you think we're going to have Jonathan Kaminga in college basketball next season? I have no true read on what Jonathan Kaminga is or isn't going to do. I will lean on the fact that right now his crystal ball at 247 Sports, um, not all predictions have been logged, if you will. But it's at 90% that he picks the G League Pathway program. Um, so I'll lean that. I'd like to see him there. If he doesn't go, it is what it is, I guess. He joined, obviously, Dacian Nix, um, Jalen Green, Isaiah Todd in that Pathway program. And they'd, I guess they'd be able to field a, a team of five at that point. Um, I saw yeah, I saw Kaminga last year. He's good. I will say this. Um, I, to me, he did not stand out on such a transcendent level where, with like 
along the same likes of previous number one overall candidates in a class. Not to say he's not really good. He is really good. To me, he is not – like, let's say he reclassifies and let's just go hypothetical GP and he, like, picks a school and he's going to play Texas Tech next season. That would be freaking awesome, actually. If, uh, someone of Kaminga's stature playing at Texas Tech would be generally great for the sport, in my opinion. Genuinely great. Um, Let me stop you there for a second for people who don't know. His brother – is going to play Correct. at Texas Tech next season. Joel Tomway, who was at UNLV, has transferred to Texas Tech, and that is um, Kaminga's older brother, which is why Texas Tech is a real factor and considered the favorite if he were to pick a yeah. college. Continue. Be great. Um, I am of the belief that if that happened, Kaminga would not, in my opinion, I, I'm not convinced he would be a top 15 player in college basketball next season necessarily. He's good, but I'm not sure he's definitely going to be really, really great. We'll see. Um, the more – well, I mean, him picking Texas Tech is impactful, significantly so if that were to happen. That would be great um, just because I'm always a fan of highly rated prospects. I'm talking like top five, top ten level going to schools outside the traditional power structure within the sport. But if he doesn't do that and he winds up picking the pathway program, then – it's significant in that uh, that G League select team would have five players, so it would actually have, in a certain way, met its objective here and recruit successfully recruited enough players to <laughs> to put enough on a court, if you will. Um, and given, I think, some credence to those who have wanted to declare that this is a genuine threat to college basketball, I disagree with that, but. Uh, nevertheless, this is now something that's out there because Kaminga, he put up in his Instagram post June 16th, 2020. So the expectation is that six, five days from now is when he will actually announce his intentions and what he is going to do there. So, uh, fun talent. If he goes to the G League, we'll probably wind up talking about it. You'll hear more about it and, um, it'll be another reclassification, uh, and we'll, we'll see from there, but I'm not. I'm not in on Kaminga as some surefire future NBA all-star. He's good. I just don't think he's as good as most of the previous number ones to come out of their class in the past decade. Norlander, I will have you know that 24-7 Sports has been giving out perfect scores only since 2003. And Jonathan Kaminga is just the sixth prospect to ever get a perfect 1.00 score from 24/7 sports. Now, okay, but let's 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 but he would not have that if he reclassified, is that correct? I don't know. I'm not privy to how that works. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure what you're referencing is when those players rate as number 1 in every single class by every single evaluation service. And Kaminga would not be the number 1 player in the class of 2020 if he reclassified. So At I'll have moment, you know at this moment, if you go to 24/7 sports, he has a score of 1.00, just the sixth perfect score in the history of 24-7 sports, dating back to 2003. Trivia time! Okay. Can you name the other five players who have gotten perfect scores from 24-7 sports starting in 2003? Uh, I'll give it a go here. Um, Perfect scores. Since 2003. Starting with the year 2003. Right, My so God. Le- LeBron James right. has to be one. <laughs> okay, that's correct. Okay. 
All right, LeBron James is one. Um, let's go Greg Oden. Greg Oden is another. Okay. Greg Oden, 2006. Let's go Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis was not, which seems crazy to me. Uh, it's probably Brian Snow's fault. Um, all right, so Davis is not. Let's see. Huh. You know, I don't – I'm second-guessing myself, but I'm going to go – was Andrew Wiggins one of them? Yes, he Andrew was. Wiggins okay. was a perfect score in 2013. Yep. Okay, so three down, three down, two to go because Kaminga would be sixth? Yep, three okay. down, two to go, Kaminga is six. Um, it's just uh, for those that might be playing at home, as you often do, uh, it is definitely not Zion Williamson. He was not the number one rated player in his class, and there were plenty of skeptics about Zion coming out of high school. Um I got to believe Ben Simmons is one of them. Ben Simmons is not one what? of them. What? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't do these rankings. This is not my job. All I right, only so rank top 25 and one. That's all I do. How about Dwight Howard? Dwight Howard is one. That's the one I thought you were going to miss on. 2004, Dwight Howard, perfect score. All right, I got one more here. Um, I'm just vamping off the top of my head. I'm trying to think. Uh, so you thought Dwight was the toughest. Okay. Um, I do not think you'll get this one unless I give you a hint. And well, no. How about this? Hint. All right, give me. I'll give me two more guesses. My first guess is Jabari Parker. Nope. Okay. You don't think I'll get it? <laughs> no, but when I tell you who it is, you go, "Oh, of course." <laughs> who was the player we did this before? It was uh, <laughs> we did the number one picks. We did. Um, uh, who was the dude out of Utah? This is a joke. Who's Andrew Bogut? <laughs> Bogut, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I want to get it. For those of you who are just screaming into your phones, I can't hear you. I really want to get this, GP. Um, past 10 years or no? Yes, past 10 years. Played one year in college. Okay. Uh, John Wall. Was a, fir was a first team All-American. Was a first team All-American. Well, that's past 10 years. It's not John Wall. Okay. Um, past 10 years, first team All-American. Oh. No. Really? Was Jaleel Okafor? It's not Jaleel Okafor. Okay. Trying to think of the freshmen that were first-team All-Americans in the past 10 years. Uh, you had Jaleel. You had Anthony Davis. You had Zion Williamson. Uh, in the past 10 years, you had a Anthony Davis. You had uh, 13 would have been. Oh. Um, no, no, no. GP, you do. I think you have me. I think you have me stumped. Okay, go ahead. Give it to me. You have named one of his teammates. You have named about 50 players that went to his school. What? I mean, okay, so. He was a first-team All-American. His teammate was the National Player of the Year, but he was not. What? He was a first-team AA. 
His he's a first teammate, team All American. He had a teammate who was the National Player of the Year. He was a top three pick in the NBA draft after one season. When you say that, I mean, it. This just seems too hard. Don't tell me that's Michael Kidd Gilchrist. No. Okay. <laughs> he was. That applies. That applies. Yeah, all of that applies. All of that applies. You're going to hate yourself when I say this because ah. it's like, I mean, you've danced all around it. Um, have I really? This is stupid, man. I'm Now I'm annoyed. <laughs> you want another hit? Yeah, go ahead. He is not from the United States. He was not born in the United States. So, okay. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, but that's not him. Um, who else was not born in the U.S.? Who was from Canada? Come on! <laughs> God, from Canada, You're right? Yes, from Canada. Well, You're like now, uh, just idiocy. Holy right now. crap! He he was don't no don't stop. His teammate was this... the national player of the year. He was a top three pick. And he had to be a heralded recruit because he had a perfect score from twenty four seven. I know, I know. And you've named and you've named more players from his school than you have any other school. Why am I blanking? Why am I? Okay. You have named Jabari Parker. Yes. You have named Zion Williamson. Yes. You have named Jalu Okafor. What, what Duke player am I forgetting? Hold on, Austin Rivers. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh. Oh, you're an idiot. Oh, Marvin Bagley. No! I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What are the... Like, who am I forgetting? At this point, all you have to do is think of Duke National Player of the Years and then just think who played with them. I am. I'm trying to think of that, GP. Maybe think of the most recent Duke National Player of the Year. That was Zion Williamson. And who was his teammate? Who played with GP? Why am I not remember? Oh, freaking! Um, you don't know who played with. I do, I do, I do. Hold on. There was Zion, Reddish. Who was the third? <laughs> like, what's what's happening right now? What is going on with you? Did you have a? Do you have a stroke? Dude. Zion, Reddish. Who's the third player? <laughs> Don't tell oh, me. Man. Don't tell me. This is an all-timer. My God. <sighs> Zion. <laughs> Reddish. <laughs> Everyone's just losing their minds listening to this podcast right now. I will not edit this. I will not run from this shame. Dude, freaking R.J. Barrett. Gosh, come on. <laughs> Barrett, what are you doing? My God, I said a first-team All-American from Canada who played at Duke with Zion Williamson, and you couldn't get it. Unbelievable. Think about, think about the hits you had. A first-team All-American who played at Duke with Zion Williamson and is from Canada, and you were just blank. He disappeared into the ether once he was drafted by the Knicks, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, All records God. of his existence have disappeared. R.J. Barrett, come on! <laughs> so the six players who have gotten perfect scores from 24-7 sports as prospects, LeBron James, Dwight Howard, Greg Oden, Andrew Wiggins, R.J. Barrett, 
and Jonathan Kaminga. Woo! And that we took the scenic route there. Wow. Wow. Dude, it's one thing just to not get it. It's another thing when I say went to Duke, played with Zion, is from Canada, top three pick in the draft. It took, it took me a while there. Hey, dude. Like, I, I, don't, think, I think my wife could have gotten that. When I think about it, some point, I, my wife Unlike been you, like, that, I don't bring up Ken Palm pages to trigger, trigger anything. I was going way off the top of my head there. And recruiting is not my specialty. What do you want from me? What do you want? I mean, that's the thing. RJ was the consensus number one player in that class, and then Zion became the number one pick. That just also speaks to uh, how much Zion just overshadowed everything. Like, it just – unreal. My God. It's bad. Back to Kaminga real quick. Yeah. Um, it does appear that he's going to go to the G-Link program. At least that's what most people seem to – most people who whose job it is to actually cover that specifically, recruiting, seem to think that he's going to the G-League program. And I will say, it, it remains to be seen – um, whether that's a good path or a bad path for prospects, like, you know, time will tell. Mm -hmm. But I totally understand it under these circumstances. Like it's June 11th. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, you, 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 know, you can go to a college, but I don't know if you've been paying attention to most of the recent, you know, medical reports from medical officials, but they are ex major league baseball wants to wrap up its, World Series by the end of October. Why? Because they're worried about a second wave of coronavirus. Um, the, the universities are not bringing students back, lots of them, after Thanksgiving break. They're going to skip fall break, and then after Thanksgiving, they're not bringing anybody back. Why? Because of a fear of a second wave of coronavirus. So if people are trying to get things wrapped up by November, middle of November, because of a second wave of coronavirus, well, what does that run into? College basketball season. So nobody can tell you that this season's going to start on time, that it's not going to be interrupted. And even if it does start on time and isn't interrupted, it's not going to be a normal college basketball season. Like the idea that you're going to be playing in a jam-packed Cameron Indoor Stadium or, you know, a neutral site game at, at United Center, like the, the jam-packed fans, you're not get, we're not getting that. And so if you're Kaminga – and you're choosing between several hundred thousand dollars to just go train in a what should be safe environment um, for the next however many months or go to college, enroll in school, start like taking classes and stuff. I'm never going to be a four year player, so I'm not going to graduate college. I'm just taking these classes for I don't want to say nothing, but like not for the reason most people take college classes. And then who knows if we ever have a season? You know, I, we do know it's not going to be a normal season. Like, if you're picking between those two things, like, I, selfishly, I'd love to see him at Texas Tech or Duke or anywhere else. I'd love to see him play college basketball. But if I'm him or advising him, I completely understand why you might say, with so much uncertainty, I'm just going to go train and then try to be the number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft. Maybe, but there's also no – yeah, I understand it entirely, but there's no guarantee that, you know, whatever environment he's going to – be it for training, it's going to be what he hopes it'll be. I mean, you know, we haven't ended a first wave. People talking of a second wave, we're still very much in the midst of the first one there. So keep that in mind as well. Um, but, yeah, we'll we'll wait and see. The, the expectation is that he's going to go G League. And as we've seen, Dacian Nix was mostly a surprise. But the others who've decided to do this, I mean, you know, the buzz has been too much behind the scenes. You know, what happens is these – players and the representatives like they've got to negotiate terms with with the g league and talk to enough people you know people are going to find out so there's just it's not impossible he opts to pick college 
but there's just enough people thinking that it's not going to be that where it's probably just about already been decided at this point where it just seems like a likelihood and something we might touch on briefly on next week's podcast. Maybe, maybe, maybe so. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, legend. Shouts to Larnell and shouts to RJ Barrett, the forgotten blue devil. Dude. I know. The forgotten, the forgotten, the forgotten one. blue devil, RJ Barrett, the forgotten one, man. That's just, uh, it's not a prideful moment, but <laughs> I've been locked up in this house with my children for, it's actually, it's, by the way, as we wrap here, it was three months to the day as we record this, yep. that Rudy Gobert happened. So we are at the three month mark of all this. I'm going to, uh, accept responsibility, but also offer up, um, just that situation in general uh, for a while. I've, I'm gone more than three months without a haircut. I'm losing my mind over here. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, even in the off season, I know people are always looking for uh, a new podcast to listen to. Give us a shout. Tell somebody about it. And if you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. I appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. We're going to talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.